Welcome to the All About Scentwork podcast. In this podcast, we talk about all things scentwork. That include training tips, a behind-the-scenes look at what your instructor or trial official may be going through, and much more. In this episode, I want to talk about the importance of balance. Balancing accepting who your dog is, with also wanting them to be the best version of themselves so they can go through life successfully, both within the context of scentwork and just their day-to-day life. So before I start diving into the podcast episode itself, let me do a very quick introduction of myself. My name is Diana Santos. I'm the owner and lead instructor for Setwork University, Dog Sport University, and Pet Dog U. These are all online dog training platforms that are designed to help you achieve your dog training goals, and we're very fortunate to have a client basis worldwide. For Setwork University in particular, we provide online courses, seminars, webinars, and ebooks that, again, are all designed to help you reach your sniffing goals regardless of where you are in your journey. So if you're just getting started in Setwork, if you're looking to develop some more advanced skills, or if you're interested in trialing, we have a training solution for you. But as you know a little bit more about me, Let's dive into our podcast episode itself. In this episode, I wanted to talk about a potentially touchy subject (laughs) where we want to be able to balance as dog owners and trainers, the accepting of who our dog is against wanting them to be the best version of themselves. And the reason why I say that it's touchy is that People's, I think, have the wrong idea that it's either or, but really it's got to be both. You want this happy medium. So I'm going to try to help this make a little bit more sense. Essentially, one of the most common things you'll hear in the community is you need to, as an owner or a trainer, need to drop any of your preconceived notions about a dog and need to be able to accept who they are, accept what they bring to the table and go from there. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. As far as you shouldn't be trying to turn dogs into other individual dogs, right? That's not the point. Every single dog is going to come to the table with their own personalities, their own traits, their own quirks, strengths and weaknesses and everything else in between. So accepting them for the individual that they are is absolutely crucial. And I think that that advice is absolutely correct. But as with a lot of things in the dog community, It seems to have taken on a life of its own, where it was as though there was a comma that someone missed along the way, and they just kind of like run off with it, where there seems to be this idea that, for instance, if you have a sensitive dog, even in the context of scent work, well, they're sensitive, and they're always going to be sensitive, and therefore we have to wrap them up with bubble wrap because they're sensitive. And that's not true. So I don't think that is accepting who your dog is. I think that's actually holding your dog back from potentially being more comfortable and living their lives in a way that they could have a little bit more joy. Does it mean that I am now advocating for sensitive dogs to be placed into situations where they are an abject terror? Of course not. (laughs) But when we're talking about particularly with scent work, What we have to recognize is the way that we design our searches or we design our training or the kinds of decisions that we make as far as when we are doing a search, the things that we may do as a handler, or if we're doing trialing, the kinds of trials that we enter into, the kind of classes we enter into, and what we're doing in those situations. All that matters, and it provides feedback back to the dog. And we may be doing things as handlers or trainers subconsciously if we aren't careful and mindful about it that could actually be holding our dogs back from being able to progress, to feel more confident, to be more secure that they could actually do these things and do them well. So as an example, let's say that your dog 
was more in the sensitive side. And they were a little concerned about things that moved. So if they were in a search area and they were searching away and they happened to bump into something and it wasn't very secure or whatnot, and it moved slightly against their pressure, let's say like a box as an example. And they were like, oh, that's awful. (laughs) That's just the box is going to kill me. And now they're worried about the box, right? Going forward. Does it mean that you should make sure that you never do anything with boxes ever again? I would argue no, right? You, you want the dog to understand that moving boxes actually isn't a bad thing. Does it mean that you then do a bunch of what we call in training flooding, where you just bombard this dog with this very scary stimuli until they basically give up? Please don't. <laughs> it's the absolute wrong way of doing it. But either extreme is bad, right? Completely avoiding boxes forever, knowing full well that even outside of scent work, you are going to have boxes in your life, right? There's online shopping, there's moving, there's all kinds of reasons why there may be boxes. You don't want your dog to be like, oh my God, it's a box. Like, that would be terrible. (laughs) But at the same point, we don't want to just like, okay, we're just going to fill a room with boxes, put the dog in, close the door and hope for the best. Of course not. So what I wanted to do with this episode was to talk about the balancing act that we really got to find, that happy little medium that you can't really pin down because it's so subjective. It's going to matter depending on the individuals that are involved, the individual dog, as well as the individual trainer. Your input matters, right? Your comfort level of seeing your dog in a moment learning and learning can be really stressful for us as people to watch, (laughs) effort can be really super hard for us as people to observe our dogs do. Particularly if you're dealing with a dog that you have been working with in other contexts, just trying to get them through life in a way that they can be successful, that maybe they could have that shimmer of hope, that shimmer of joy. And now you see them kind of like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. And then you're like, oh my God, everything's going to fall apart. So you rush in to help, right? And what I'm arguing is that that may not be the best thing to do all the time. That we could actually be capping our dog's ability to do things because we are so ready to run in and help when the dog may actually not need that help, right? That that actually may not be helping. That could actually be hurting. And that's so hard for people to wrap their heads around. So this is really more of a thinking kind of episode. (laughs) (laughs) there's no definitive yes or no. It's all going to be super subjective. And a lot of it is going to depend on you and your personality to be perfectly honest. Whereas someone else may be like, it's totally fine. The dog is going to be great. In that very same situation, I'd be like, "Mm, I would think we should adjust a few things and maybe we could progress a little bit slower. It's all going to depend. And what I'm trying to get across is that within the context of scent work, The way that we're designing our searches matters because these things don't happen inside of a vacuum. So if you're designing a search and you recognize that your dog is worried of, let's say about tight spaces, right? Maybe there's a hide behind a door that's fully open. So the door is up against the wall and there's a hide on the wall and the dog's like, there's a hide there. I'm not getting close to it though. (laughs) I would like my cookie if you're standing about five feet away. Thank you. If you reward that, then you're saying, yeah, that's totally fine. Great. You're five feet away from the hide. No problem. But to me, that's a missed opportunity. This is a dog communicating clearly. I am not comfortable going behind the door. 
That to me says, okay, great. Then we get to do a bunch of tight space exercises working super incrementally, completely even outside the consciousness that work all together. To make this a game, to show the dog you can do this, that you sticking your little body in between this door and the wall is actually fun, right? It could be great. And that can take us a couple of days. It could take us a couple of weeks. It could take us a couple of months. Who cares? It doesn't matter. But understanding, at least from where I'm sitting, that that's not the only context that the dog may have to be in a tight space. And that that is basically a missing piece of the puzzle for overall confidence and overall an idea or a perception of the dog that I can do. And from where I'm sitting, I want all dogs to say, I can do this. <laughs> because I've seen many dogs who say, there's no way I can do this. And that causes problems from either part of the spectrum. Either it's they kind of like shrivel into themselves and it's really sad and awful, or they completely explode and kind of like freak out because they can't do it the way that they think that they should, or it's harder than they're anticipating. So they kind of like completely stress up and they're like, ah, <laughs> and they get really upset by it. You don't want that either. So when we're talking about this in the context of scent work, I just want to remind people that what we're doing in scent work doesn't just stay in scent work and the vice versa also applies. What you are cultivating, what you're growing, what you are reinforcing, what you're building outside of scent work in your day-to-day -day life is going to be affecting your scent work as well. So if in scent work, you're trying to do all this independence and confidence building, and everything's great. But then in day-to-day -day life, the dog goes back into their bubble where you're not letting them try anything because you're so worried it's going to go wrong. You're going to hit a cap at some point, right? It's they, these things are not separate. <laughs> they don't happen in vacuums. Everything's very dynamic. It's all interconnected. And I just want to really put this out there that finding this balance is hard. And what makes it even harder and more uncomfortable is you may find that the difficulty actually isn't your dog. It's you because you have a history with your dog more often than not a negative history where something happened, your dog reacted to something in some way, again, whatever part of the spectrum it is, that was not what you were hoping. Either they were very afraid of something or they reacted or reactive or whatnot. And that, taught you that situation resulted in this behavior that really did not sit well with me. I don't want that to ever happen again. <laughs> we are also single event learners. We're not above this at all. That's how we operate. So we will do things as handlers and trainers to tr subconsciously to try to avoid those things from happening again. And this gets really complicated because you may have to incrementally start exposing both your dog and yourself to those kinds of situations and then watch and let and allow your dog to do this learning, to have an effort where it's possible, right? They're almost like a fork in the road. I can put in a little bit more effort and I can do this. If my person has been careful and incremental and everything else, it's possible. I may have to try hard, right? I may not as a dog be really convinced that I can, but in actuality, I can't and nothing bad is going to happen. I could just give up and be like, no, I don't want to do it. Or I can have some kind of reaction. Either I can you know, curl into myself or I can explode. 
the fact that there's like a one in three chance of this going well <laughs> doesn't bode well with people, right? Where they can just say, well, let me just forget it and let me just instead have it so that my dog doesn't have to deal with this at all. So there's no possibility. So there aren't any loose boxes in the space or anything for my dog to bump into when they're doing searches that potentially moves and then causes something to happen for them that's negative that I don't like, right? I'm just going to remove all of that. And what I'm trying to impart upon you, maybe not in the most eloquent way, is that this kind of approach is not really helping your dog. It's also not helping you. The same type of feeling we're guessing <laughs> from observing dogs who are trying to sort out a particular type of situation, right? They're trying to do a search and they have to do constantly an assessment. Number one, am I safe? Is it safe for me to do this? If I'm not, if I don't feel safe, I'm not going to do it, right? And then if I am safe, do I have the information ahead of me between the odor that they are able to experience and we are not and the skill set and everything else to actually figure out where my hide is? And number three, is it reinforcing enough for me to do these things, right? This is everything that's going on in their head. We're guessing. And all of that thought and consideration and determining and learning and trying to figure it out is something that we can objectively visualize and witness. We can actually see it. We can see what our dog looks like when they're trying really hard to do something. And again, that's very hard for us to do. But what I hope that people can recognize is the amount of effort that your dog is putting into doing the thing, you are also putting in that amount of effort to allow them to do so. And that can be so uncomfortable. So not only is it uncomfortable for you to watch your dog struggle, it's also uncomfortable for you to grant them the ability to do it. <laughs> so it's almost like a double whammy. And this is how it can be so easy for people to fall in one of two camps of either they just never do it with their dogs, so the dog lives like in, in a little bowl, or they completely disregard the fact that the dog was saying, this is really hard for me, and they just rush ahead. And the dog doesn't really have the skill set. They may actually have really giant holes now in their training. They may be like, wow, this was really terrible. Who knows, right? There's all kinds of fallout that can happen. But the point being is that none of this is easy, and it takes time for you to develop what your own approach is going to be, what your balance is going to be with your dog. And that balance is also going to change over time. So just very quickly, and then we'll wrap up. <laughs> I want you guys thinking about these things. I had a client when I was still teaching in person. And when they first came to class, quite literally this dog slithered, <laughs> slithered into the room on her belly. It was awful. It was terrible. It was the saddest thing. And over the course of her taking classes with us, this dog blossomed, and that was mostly due to the handler. I was giving advice here and there, but quite literally, the handler recognized who the dog was. She accepted who she was, but she also knew that she could have a broader life. She knew that she could have more joy in her life. She knew that she didn't have to be this worried about everything all the time. So even at home, she was able to recognize things that the dog was a little, eh, and she worked on them with her until the dog was like, oh yeah, no, that's fine. And then this is really fun and we have a fun game and we do these things, whatever. And you just saw her really liven up to the point where she was able to do the same kind of problem solving exercises everyone else in class was able to do. And she was a rock star sniffer. She was amazing. 
But this handler in particular had the gift of being able to have this balance. And she would even struggle at times where that's where I would step and be like, just wait, breathe and wait. I know, I know. (laughs) She's got this, right? She can do this. We just have to let her have the moment to determine that she can. If we jump in and quote unquote help her now, it's not going to be helping, right? She's on the cusp. Just just wait. I know it's painful. (laughs) I know you want to help but we've broken this down to the tiniest pieces that we possibly can. She's right there. She's just got to put in a little bit more effort. She's got to have a little bit more confidence in herself to get there. And it's okay. You know, if we got to stay for class another 10 minutes over, everyone's on the edge of their seats waiting for this dog to get this hide. It's fine. It'll be fine. And sure enough, it was. I'm sharing this because there are lots of people who have lots of different types of dogs and Again, the conversation is correctly trying to be, we should be accepting dogs. We shouldn't try to be turning dogs into something else and all this other stuff. And you shouldn't be throwing dogs away and all these other kinds of things. You shouldn't be discounting who your dog is. And all that is true. But again, it's not a complete statement. It's not a complete stance. I don't want that dog to have stayed slithering on her stomach everywhere, urinating all over herself you know, vomiting because, you know, the wind blew. It was awful. It was, what a terrible way to live. And particularly when you're able to see in a few short months, she went from that to she was dragging her person into that room to do searches. So then we needed to like, okay, well, maybe we don't drag mama. (laughs) And that's fine, right? That's a good, good progression, right? Those are new issues that we can now do training with. But none of that would have been possible if we just simply said, okay, no, she's just scared of everything. We have to make sure that we batten down the hatches. And it's like, no, like there's got to be something that we can do to improve the quality of life. And that applies to everything, not just that work, but everything. So I want everyone to really think about this in looking at your dogs, looking at how you're doing your training, looking how you're doing everything, where you choose to trial, where you choose to practice how you choose to do these things. And then just your day-to-day life. Like you may very well have found yourself falling into patterns. Like, wow, like I just like, I lock down my whole house and make sure that everything is really super quiet because noises bothers my dog. That seems like a problem. (laughs) There's management, there's helping your dog be set up for success. But then there's also like the extremes that are just, it's just not normal And it's not okay. It's not helping your dog. It's actually making it worse because if they can't just be and just exist and they're just on edge all the time, that's a horrible way to live. Like they're just, they're stressed. They're going to be sick. They're going to have upset tummies. It's just awful. We want to give them the skills that they need so they can actually get through day to day. And that doesn't mean that I am expecting all these dogs now, oh, well, now you get to go out everywhere and you're going to be taking them on doggy vacations or going to go to trials all the time and people are going to be all over them. You're going to be in the middle of, you know, Times Square. Of course not. (laughs) That's not what I'm advocating for at all. But there's got to be this combination of, yes, I recognize that my dog has X, Y, or Z traits. But I also recognize that I want them to be the best version of themselves, as confident as they can be, as comfortable as they can be. And what can I do to create a life that in every aspect, scent work and day to day is going to provide the most quality for them. 
And how can I help them be really learning that they can do these things and have that spark? Like, I did it. I did that thing. I found that hide. I found that hide behind that door. And I squished my little body in there all by myself. I was in forest. I had the choice and I did it. And give me my cookie. <laughs> like that's what we're looking for, right? Let me guys know what you think about this. Again, this is more of like a cerebral, cerebral thinking brain <laughs> kind of episode. Because again, it, this is more like a lot of people say, like, this is semantics. But I do find people are kind of capping themselves and their dogs off unnecessarily and doing things that I just don't think are overly helpful. So if we just stopped and thought about it, be like, well, you know, maybe I'm holding my dog back because I'm trying to help them, but actually it's, it's not helpful. Maybe it's, it's actually causing more issues. So let me know what you think. We are going to be offering our series we've been doing up until this point. So the first series is our spotlight series. That's where we talk to individuals and businesses that are giving back to the summer community. If you have an individual or a business that you want me to talk to, please let me know. I would love to hear from them. <laughs> We're also doing our new series where we are featuring participants of Cyber Network, learning more about them, learning about their dogs, learning about their sniffing journey. It's awesome. I'm very excited about it. So we're going to be posting more episodes about that. We are going to be doing some roundtables with our instructors, talking about a variety of different training topics and also guest speakers. So there's lots of goodness on the way. But thanks so much for listening. Happy training. Look forward to seeing you soon.